Good morning, OneChurch.tv. I hope you guys are having a fantastic morning. Uh, my name is Chris, and I'm one of the pastors here at One Church. And if you're hanging out with us uh, live, or if you're in the video theater, or Facebook Live, or Church Online, so glad to have you guys here. I uh, want to let you know of a couple things. One, uh, Katie just mentioned about our baptism at uh, 2 o'clock at the church offices today. If you can make it, uh, we're going to have a time of worship and communion, and it's going to be fun. So uh, make sure to come and celebrate with those whose lives are changed. And uh, I want to tell you a little bit about what Four Clarksville is, and I want to tell you what you guys have already done to make a difference. Um, we launched this series last week called Four Clarksville, but it's way more than a series. It really is an intentional direction of where our church is going. And last week we said that Christianity has an image problem. The past 20 years, uh, not only has church attendance been declining, but the way people perceive churched and Christians have been changed, has been changing. And it's not been a positive change. That honestly, that we in the church, Christians, we're known more for what we're against than what we're for. And we just simply talked last week that the church should we should be known by who we are for, not who or what we're against. And uh, that's where we're going in, in this series. Um, and we get that from John 3.16. For God so loved the world. Uh, in fact, let's just do this. I'm going to say for God so loved the, and I want you to tell me your name, all right? Because God just doesn't love the world. He loves you. For God so loved... All right, very good. I heard some of you guys' names. So um, that's what it's all about. And we want to let people outside these walls know that God is for them. So really, for Clarksville in a nutshell, really is about changing the way people not in church view the church. Now, if they're not in church, how can we change the way they view the church? And that's the big how, and really it's about two things. It's about doing good in our community and practicing no-strings-attached generosity. Doing good and practicing no-strings-attached generosity. And that leads me to a story that happened just this past week. Somebody at one church uh, called me, and um, they have a friend who, uh, who lost a little baby girl of two and a half months uh, this past week. And uh, with tears, I mean, you could tell she was just sobbing over the phone. She was like, you know, they don't come to one church, but I'd love for them to know that God is for them and that we are for them. So um, she shared with me uh, through GoFundMe uh, uh, the whole idea of being able to help pay for their funeral. And we shared that on the One Church Facebook page on, I believe it was Tuesday. And by Wednesday, all of their funeral expenses were paid for. So I just want to say thank you. Thank you, and thank those who are outside of this church who are willing to show that God is for them, even through dark and terrible circumstances. But that leads me to a question. Why do you do good? Why do you do good? And you would think that's a pretty simple answer, but I don't think it is, because I think the truth is, I think we do good for a lot of reasons. How many of y'all, you've done good to impress a girl? Let me hear you. Yep. If you're a guy in here and you have a girl, the answer is yes. Just saying. It just says, because that is the only reason she is with you is because you've done something to impress her, right? We want to make a good impression, our good first impression. We want to look good and we want to do good, and that's many times what we do. I mean, again, I remember all the stupid, idiotic things I did to impress and to turn uh, Kim Williams' 
head so that she will become Kim Edmondson. So um, some of you, you do good, if we could be honest, out of guilt. Just good old-fashioned guilt. Especially if you kind of grew up in the South, you know, you, there's that side of guilt with, uh, with the mashed potatoes and gravy, right? And may, or maybe you're, you're doing good to kind of make up for all the bad that you did, maybe that spring break. And you're like, man, I, I got I to gotta get out of the red here. I got to do some good. And maybe it's the reason why some of you are at church this morning. If this is your first time here, it's like, man, I, I had a really bad night on Friday night. I got to get to church, right? We kind of feel like somehow that kind of makes up for it. Or what about maybe you do good just to make yourself feel good? Because sometimes it does just feel good to do good. Maybe for others of you, maybe it's like you're, you, you, kind of, you want to do good because you want some good to come back to you, that karma thing. And you're just like, you know what, I'm going to extend it, I'm going to pay it forward because I want somebody to be able to pay it forward for me one day. And you want somebody to turn around and do something good for you. They do want to repay the favor. So why do you do good? You see, I believe... You and I, we have this remarkable opportunity because the church, unfortunately, has messed it up in the past. And, I, and we talked about this last week. We've seen Christians in the church use their power to make a point and use their dollars to demand their way. And here's this idea. The reason why I want to challenge all of us today to do good, because I think we can correct that. I believe that if we really follow the example of Jesus and we live a life of love and we live a life of light and a very dark culture, I believe that we can change that culture and the culture will know that we stand for them, not against them. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, our responsibility last week, we looked at this, is, is to be the light and to do what's right. And to share with all of those around us the experience of God's love and God's grace and mercy, that's for everyone. But in order to do that, in order to do that, we have to practice doing good. Now, there's two different ways of you can do good. I think there's many of us, fortunately, we do good, and it's just kind of a normal way people do good. And that's great, but I'm not just talking about that. I'm not just talking about being nice to someone or letting somebody in uh, who uh, in the traffic or anything like that. I, I'm, I'm going way beyond that. I am challenging all of us today to do the kind of good that can change a culture for better forever. And think about this. I believe this has happened once. It happened 2,000 years ago. Some of you, you may not know this, but we live in a post-Christian culture. You know, I remember growing up when there was only like four channels. Anybody remember that? ABC, CBS, NBC, and PBS, right? And, and you had to turn the little dial or the, the TV would like go up and down. Y'all remember those times? Oh, I totally remember that. I mean, but living back in that day, it seems like things were a whole lot different. Things were simpler. And even though people, not everybody went to church, everybody kind of knew right and wrong. They knew the way. They had the same values as we do. Fast forward now, and in 2018, you and I, we live in a post-Christian culture. Now, what is a post-Christian culture? Let me define that. A post-Christian culture is simply where Christians' beliefs and worldviews are no longer the central and most influential position in our society. 
Well, think about this. In Jesus' day, he didn't live in a post-Christian culture. He lived in a pre-Christian culture, right? I mean, it was the Greeks and the Romans, and they had their values. So outside of Israel, no one held the values of the Judeo-Christian similar to what Jesus had. And let me give you some examples of just how corrupt and pagan the Greek and Roman cultures were. In the first century, might made right. Can you say that with me? Might made exactly right. Whoever had the power and whoever had the money, they made the rules. It kind of sounds a lot like today, doesn't it? It was a culture where women were regarded as inferior to men 2,000 years ago. They were treated like property, not as equals. They were treated as sex objects. It was a culture where the weak and the marginalized and the powerless had no value. For example, there was this first century Roman philosopher by the name of Seneca. Seneca. And he simply wrote this. We drown children at birth when they are weak and abnormal. Think about that. That behavior was, wasn't considered scandalous or wrong or, or, or immoral. It was considered normal. Not only that, it was common practice for parents to leave a child to die if it was the wrong gender. Anybody want to guess what the wrong gender was? Women. Exactly right. Females. Often parents would dump their babies into sewage drains or ditches, leaving them exposed to die. In fact, this guy by the name of Rodney Stark writes in his book, The Triumph of Christianity, he says this, The discarding of unwanted, unwanted infants was widespread in Roman Empire, and girls were far more likely than boys to be discarded. Keep in mind that legally and by custom, the decision to discard an infant rested entirely with the who? father, because back then, might made right. It was a common practice for men to force wives to have abortions in order to be able to keep having to support a larger family. Men would routinely have sex with prostitutes in order to be able to, uh, the responsibilities of having a family. Again, that type of dark, just desperate, degrading culture was the culture where Christianity was born. And if it sounds a lot like ours, guess what? Jesus and his band of disciples were able to change that culture once. And I believe if we do what Jesus and his disciples did, we can change our culture today. It was this type of culture, this type of practices, these moral values, that Jesus, when he stood on a hillside just north of the Sea of Galilee, and he speaks to a group of people trying to figure it out in his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, found in Matthew chapter 5. If you would turn there or open the YouVersion Bible app, and you can see it there. And here is where Jesus explains how to live differently and to do good in such a way that it can change not only a family's culture, but also change Get this, change an entire government system, an entire culture here. Matthew 5, Jesus shows how you and I can change our culture from the inside out. Look at this, verse 13 of Matthew 5, it says this, you are what? Some of y'all, I've met you, some of you are salty, all right? You are the salt of the earth. Now, here I have on here, I have a salt shaker, all right? 
And, and this salt shaker, it does a, salt does a lot of different things. You can pour it, and it'll spice up your food. Last night, my wife and I ate at an Italian restaurant, and I, I, I really don't know. I mean, it's, food's kind of good, whatever. And Kim's like, she'll taste it. She says it needs more salt. And I'll put more salt on it, and daggummit, my wife is almost right 100% of the time. I'm like, that made it a thousand times better because salt spices it up. But let me tell you, salt does more than just spice stuff up. Uh, I don't know, how many of y'all, you got the freeze warning this morning on your phones? How many of y'all ready to move from Tennessee? Yes, yeah, sure. Right? I mean, it snowed a week ago. It was crazy. See, salt also, when you put it on ice, does what? It melts it exactly right. But in that culture where salt was used the most was for a preservative was for preservatives. See, they didn't have refrigerators. They didn't have freezers. They couldn't get it below 32 degrees to be able to stop the, the, the whole idea of the decaying process. So they put salt on it. In fact, some of you, if you grew up in the South, you've eaten country ham. And country ham tastes very what? Salty. Why? Because they put salt on that ham because they didn't have ice boxes then. They put salt on there to keep the decay from happening. And what Jesus is saying that you and you and you are the salt of the earth, he's saying this, I know there's a lot of darkness in your culture. Jesus is saying, but do you realize that God has you here for a reason? That you are the preservers of this planet. Your presence in this culture at this place and at this time is like salt on meat. All the spoiling and rotting and corruption in our culture, you and I, we can slow that down, not from running away from culture, which is what most Christians and churches do. We create subcultures, right? Don't believe me? We don't listen to radio. We listen to Christian radio. We don't watch movies at the movie theater. We watch Christian movies at the movie theater. We don't watch uh, uh, television. We watch TBN, Dear Lord, right? I mean, think about this. We create our own subculture so that we don't have to, the salt doesn't have to interact with culture. But the problem is salt kept in a salt shaker does absolutely no good. Did you know that? Salt and a salt shaker. We were eating last night at this restaurant, and there was salt right in front of me. But I wasn't going to put it on my food, and that salt would have done absolutely no good. And honestly, that's what many churches and many Christians are. We do absolutely no good because we never, ever get to face culture. We never, ever go where the decaying and the rot is. Our presence in doing good matters. It's the reason why we're not to run from culture, but we are to confront culture. Keep on reading. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. In fact, what he's saying is simply this. Don't stop being a preserver. Because I've placed you where, where you're at in this world to make a difference. To be Salty. How many of y'all salty? Let me hear you. Woo! All right, very good. Then he continues with a second word picture. And he simply says this. You are the what? Light of the world. Right? By the way, I have an idea. I'm sorry. You are the light of the world. So, you're, yeah, you're salt, but you're also the light. You're not just here to preserve. You're also here to illuminate. You're here... 
to be light in the darkness and to help people see that there is a better way to live. That there's a better way to relate to one another. There's a better way to be friends. There's a better way to handle conflict. There's a better way to treat your sexuality. There's a better way to treat those of the opposite sex. There's a better way to manage money. There's a better way to respond to criticism. There is a better way. But they will never know that there is a better way if you don't live it in front of them. If you don't live your life and do what is right and be the light and illuminate. It says this, a city set. Everybody say set. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. The reason why I wanted you to say set is because that Greek word there is so very interesting. It just doesn't mean built. It's actually the word often used in the New Testament, which means divine or sovereign decisions. Get this. God has strategically placed you where you are, where you are to make a difference. Jesus is saying, it's not like some city that's randomly got built on some hill. This isn't a coincidence that you live in the neighborhood that you live in. It's not luck or karma that you got the job that you got working with the people you, you do. No, you're like a city that was strategically placed on a hill where the architects would know, everybody would know that this is the way. I love that. In other words, you are where you are by divine design. Think about where you're at right now, where you're working, in your home, in your family, in your neighborhood. Some of you, you dying to get out of that job, right? I mean, you can't stand the boss. You can't stand your coworkers. And all you're doing is complaining and grumbling to get out, get out, get out. And you're missing the opportunity because God has you there for a reason. You are strategically placed there to make a difference, to illuminate Jesus goes on, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand. They put it high and look at this. It gives what? Light for who? Everyone in the house. So that's just common sense, right? Lights are made to shine. It's not made to be hidden. In the same way, let your light shine before who? Others. So they may, what? See. Now let's stop right there. Let's stop right there. What he's talking about here is not just doing something internal. Not just doing something in here. This isn't just about a, you have your beliefs and I have my beliefs and you know what, you know, we just keep it to yourself and you know, if, if this is something that you like, okay, eh, that's not what it means. He's not talking about something internal. He's talking about something external. This isn't about what you believe. This is about how you behave. This is about what you do. You see, if your beliefs never affect your behavior, then I would dare say that you actually, your beliefs stand for nothing. You see, this is about what you do. It's about acting in a way so that other people can see your light shine. Turn to the person next to you and say, your light shine. Come on, Sierra. Just saying, I heard, I mean, you're the loudest person in here. I can hear you, all right? Your light shine. You see, now we all think, you know what, it's just me. I can't make a difference where I'm at. I'm just one person in school. I'm just one person on my job. I'm just one person in the army. I'm just one person in my family. I'm just one person in my neighborhood. I'm just one person in my community. No, you're way more than that. 
You are a light in darkness. You are salt on decay, and God has strategically placed you there so that everybody can see the way because you are letting your light shine. He says this, verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may what? See what? See your good deeds. There it is. Do good. See your good deeds. And then once they see your good deeds, they would say, I, what church do you go to? Man, that one church, that's a great church, ain't it? Is that what you're called to do? No. Or when they see your good deeds, they say, man, you are an amazing person. Well, yes, I am. No, no, no. So that they may be able to see your good deeds and glorify who? Not you. Not the church, not your community, but glorify your Father in heaven. Now, this is so important. Don't miss this. Jesus says the way we do good and the way we let our light shine to do good, he's, talking about, he's not talking about doing good the way normal people do good. And, and, and again, I'm glad normal people do good. He's not talking about the kind of good deeds that cause people to pat you on the back and say, you bless your heart. You're such a nice individual, right? No, no, no. These are the kind of good deeds that abnormal people do. These are the type of good deeds that, I mean, that preserve and illuminate, that's so radical, that you're so radically generous. They're, they're above normal. They're above normal. You see, the kind of good deeds that Jesus is referring to is doing such a way that it makes people say, why would you do that? Why would you give that much? Why would you serve that much? It, it basically is saying, I want you to live a questionable life. A questionable life. Now, when we hear the word questionable, we usually say, well, we don't want people to question us. We want to live our life and have character and have integrity. And that's not quite what I want. I'm, I want you, and here's our big idea today, live your life in such a way that causes people to question why, and then guess what? You tell them. Watch this video. Well, hey guys, as Chris just shared, our big idea today is to live your life in such a way that it causes people to question why and then tell them. You know, that's been something that, that God's really done in my life since 2011. Um, my, I thought I had a plan for my life. I thought I knew what was happening. And, and through, through a catalyst event in 2011, God first called my wife and I to, to take some steps business-wise that we hadn't planned on and, and then to literally go across the ocean and adopt two children, which eventually turned into four children. And we did a lot of things that the world looked at and said, why? You know, we, we traded in 401ks to, to adopt our children. We did a lot of things that didn't make sense to the world. And all through that process, God put people in our lives that continued to ask us why. And our answer always involved well, I can't answer this for you if you don't believe there's a God because these aren't things that are in my plans. These aren't things that I, would even, I don't want to say that I didn't want to do, but that God hadn't broken my heart for yet. And it really took God breaking my heart for these things for me to step out and do it. All the way to the point that, that the tattoo on my arm here literally is, is kind of this big idea. It reminds me every day as I look at what my right hand does uh, that I want to live my life in such a way that people say that had to be God. Uh, what I have tattooed here is Amharic, which is what they speak in Ethiopia, and it says uh, uh, Zabaher Bicha, which in English translates back to God only, which by the time we put it in our sentence structure says only God. 
and, and it was a quote that I heard probably 2012, 13, that when I die or, or while I'm living, I want people to look at the things that I do and say, that could not be Luther. He's not that smart. He's not that kind. He doesn't possess that kind of love that it's only because God is in his life that he's doing those things. And so, so as we continue to move through this message today, I just want you to think about what is it that God would do in your life that would make people look at you and say, why? And then I want you to think, would you be willing to tell them why? Would you be willing to tell them that it's because of God? It's because of what God's called you to do. It's because of what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life, asking you to to be a better person than, than you are on your own, to love people better, to be more generous, um, to meet people where they are and not view them as their mess, but view them the way God views them. Live your life in such a way that it causes people to ask why and then tell them. Live a questionable life. Do good, and then when you do good, people are going to go, why are you doing that? And you tell them. It's because God is for you, and I am for you. Live a questionable life. So we started today by asking a question. Why do you do good? Why do you do good? And the answer to that should be this. Do good in such a way that causes people to look beyond us to the God who is at work through us. That means when you do good, you're going to have to tell people, hey, here's the reason why I'm doing it. It's not just because, hey, you know, I'm just a great person. No, no, no. You and I serve a great God. This is how you live as light in a dark world. We do good in such a way that the followers of Jesus have the ability to do good, and the end result is people give our Heavenly Father the credit that it's God. Because the purpose of light isn't attract attention to itself. Did you know that? The purpose of light is to illuminate something far more valuable than itself. Jesus says this, this is why you are here. To live in such a way that points people past you and your goodness to the God who is at work making all things possible. That you exist for the benefit of humanity. That's it. That's it. Now, who does stuff like that? Well, hopefully, hopefully it's you. Here's my, I want to give a couple of homework today. First is I want you today, when you go home, before, you know, you take a nap or before you start washing the car, if it ever stops raining today or whatever, um, so before you cover up your plants because of the freeze warning, I want you to read Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. Because Jesus' Sermon on the Mount really does talk about how you can be the light and do what's right. His example, let me give you a few of it. He says, doing good means that you, initi- that you take the initiative to reconcile with those who you hurt. That when you have done something wrong, that you go to them and you ask for forgiveness. Or maybe you haven't done anything wrong, but you still take the initiative. You are proactive to make things right. And forgive deeply, no matter how deeply you've been wrong. That's what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. He says this, you are to live your life in such a way, a, a life of sexual purity, not just by your actions, but even in your thoughts. You don't view the opposite sex as sexual objects, but brothers and sisters in Christ. He says this, here's a big one, that you are to love your 
enemies and pray for those who hurt you. You know, anybody can do good to friends, right? Jesus says, no, no, I want you to do good even to your enemies. Do good to those people who refuse to do good to you and wouldn't even if they had the opportunity. Think that they wouldn't, I mean, just give them lavish love on them because eventually they're going to say, why are you doing this? And then you tell them about Jesus. Doing good means that you don't treat your money and your resources like they're just your own for your own consumption, but you spend in such a way to, and other to benefit others that you are irrationally generous with your money and with your time and with people. I love this. Live your life in such a way that causes people to ask and to question why, and then you tell them. And whenever you do that, Whenever you do that, church, whenever you, you are salt and you are light, when you're preserving and you're illuminating, you will create a better way in our culture that's lost its way. Now, here's the, it's so, it's so interesting. The first century followers, they did this. They did this. They took him seriously when Jesus said, hey, I want you to love those enemies. Because as they were literally throwing them into the lion's den, as they were literally lighting them on fire, they would be praying for them. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Christians valued life in such, such a way that when they left the babies uh, by the ponds and the sewage dumps, they would pick them up and they would raise them. And they would tell those children about Jesus. And they raised their families in such a way so that their families literally changed their culture from the inside out. And now, you and I, we live in a different culture. We live in this culture that now people know the stories and they come to church and many of this because what they did, salt and light, it changed their culture. And in this post-Christian culture you and I live in, it can change it again. So let me give you... Three questions and three steps. Three questions and three steps to apply this. Number one, first question, are you doing good? Or, or is your entire life consumed by what, but what's best for you? Are you spending all of your money on you? Are you spending all of your time on you? But let me take that a step further. Are you doing good in such a way that causes people to look beyond you to God. That's number two. In other words, is the good you're doing fully explainable to someone who's looking on the outside looking in? Or is it, are, they, are you doing good in such a way that causes people to live a questionable life? Why are you doing this? Why are you being this nice? Why would you cash in your 401k to be able to adopt someone? How, how could somebody forgive like that? How could somebody give like that? How could somebody adopt like that? How could somebody foster children even though they know those children will be taken away? And then third, what can you do to move, move people's attention for the kind of person you are to the kind of God that he is? Now, three steps and we're done. First step, this is a big step. I'm going to be the first one to say, big step. And it's simply this, do the good that you've been avoiding. Now, I think everybody knows what this is, but it's going to be different to all of us. I mean, this step is going to be different, but do the good that you've been avoiding. If, if you have a broken relationship with someone, go to them, make it right. Reach out to them. Try to restore it. Do it this week. Don't just, you know, I'm going to pray about it. Eh. What about this one? If you have a rift with your parents, maybe you've lied to them or taken advantage of them, Maybe you need a, that relationship that needs repairing with your parents. Do it this week. Some of you, you have, a, uh, you have filed for divorce 
or you're wanting out. You're wanting to pop smoke in this relationship. And, and now you know the, the, the good that God is calling you to do is to stick in there and stay in the relationship, to swallow your pride, go back to them and commit to work through the relationship. Some of you, you just need to come clean and to be honest about a secret that you've been keeping. Others of you, maybe you just need to go to counseling. You finally need to say, hey, I, I need help. Everybody else around you knows you need help. You might as well just go ahead and admit it to yourself. For some of you, it may, may mean taking the first step to foster, to be a foster parent, or the first step to adopt, or uh, maybe serving someone who hates you. I don't know what it is, but the big step, do the good that you've been avoiding. S- second, it's a baby step. This is an easy one. Everybody can do this. Do something good for someone to show them that God is for them. All right? Just do something good. Now, I'm going to give you a couple of different examples. Number one, up behind me on the screen, you're going to see this card. that says, you've been served, right? And every one of your cup holders, you should have those. And if they're not in their cup holders, they're going to be out at the, um, at the four store. Thank you very much. So they're in the four store. Thank you. So they're not in your cup holders. Some of y'all, ain't that. That's coffee in my cup. Okay. Anyway, so I want you to grab some of those. And my challenge to you is I want you to pay it backward. Yeah, how many of y'all heard of pay it forward? I want you to pay it backward. Here's what I want you to do. When you're in line at Mickey D's, Burger King, having it your way right away, I want you to pay for yours, and then I want you to pay for the person behind yours. And then I want you to give that card to the person who you paid the money to and say, hey, will you give them this card? It doesn't say one church anywhere on it. It just says, hey, you've been served. You've been served. That we are for you. So that means, so will y'all do that this week? Will y'all pay it backward? How many of y'all will do it? Two of y'all. Thank y'all very much. Thank you, Mom. Thank you, Mom. All right. Second, the last one is the bonus step. And Luther is going to explain this one. The bonus step is go public with your good. Watch this. And finally, guys, our bonus step today is to go public with your good. We're going to give you a couple ways you can do that today. You know, I want to go back to what I said earlier. You know, what God called my wife and I to do was to adopt and, and, and to run a ministry in Ethiopia and some other things. But what God may call you to do is just to love that person at work, to buy a meal for someone behind you like Chris just discussed. God's going to call you to do something where you are to be salt and light in your, where you're already at. And so our first thing you can do today to go public with your good is to, we're going to give everybody today one of these car magnets. And we've also got stickers, if you prefer that, that just says for Clarksville. So that as you're doing those things in the community, people are going to identify you with someone who is for Clarksville. Uh, We've got on our website, uh, the forclarksville.com, or on our uh, One Church Facebook page, You'll be able to download today uh, a thing to go on your profile pic so that the people in your sphere of influence will know that you're for Clarksville. Also, we're going to ask that as, as you're sharing what you're doing for Clarksville, that you use the hashtag, hashtag for Clarksville. And guys, imagine what could happen in our community for Clarksville if 500 of us left this place and began to live lives that people had to question why we're doing the things we're doing. And then imagine... What would happen if we actually told them why? Guys, our four Clarksville four challenge, just want to remind you of that. 
We've asked everyone, if you're going to be for Clarksville, we want you to invest in the lives of the people around you. We want you to invite them to church because we know the answer for what's going on in their life is Jesus. We want you to serve, whether that's serving here at one church or serving in our community at people that we connect with already, like Radical Mission, like Mana Cafe, whatever that looks like for you where God breaks your heart. And then finally, we need you to give. Part of how we're going to step out and be for Clarksville is with our generosity. Uh, over the course of the next two years, our goal is to raise $300,000 to empower one church, to go out and love this community like we've never loved it before, uh, to find a building, to have a place that we can be based out of, to be able to do more, have more of our energy focused on going out into the community. Uh, on May 6th, we're going to have uh, a special offering where we're going to all come together and hopefully sacri sacrificially give. And then that's also going to be the day where we're going to turn in our pledge cards. What are you and your family, what are you committing to over the next two years to allow one church to be for Clarksville? Guys, let me pray for us today as we close. God, I love you. And God, I believe that you are big and you are real. And God, you are for me. God, your word says that you are for all of us before we even, before we even acknowledged that we were sinners, before we knew what was going on in our lives that separated us from you, that you sent Jesus for us because you were for us. And so, God, I just pray that in each of us, as we go out of here today, that you'll begin to break our hearts for the things that break yours, uh, that we'll begin with the power of your Holy Spirit to love people in a way that we're not capable of, to, to give in a way that we're not really, <laughs> we don't really want to, um, and that, God, people will begin to question us and say, why are you doing these things? And that, God, will share with them that it is because of you and your Spirit and what you've already done in our lives. God, thank you that we get to be part of you being for Clarksville. In your name I pray, amen. All right, guys, so my challenge, go be for Clarksville. Don't forget to go to the four store to get your free magnet. Uh, make sure to change your social media profile picture uh, to be for Clarksville. And uh, thank you guys so much for being here. Go be for Clarksville.